Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. We are so close to the end of this book. How many of you are readers, like you really like to read? Wow, this is an awesome church. Look at all these people raising their hand. How many of you get that weird, nostalgic feeling at the end of a book? How many of you already know exactly what I'm talking about? You get to the end of the book, and you're like, I don't want it to be over. Okay, all the non-readers are like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Um, But if you read, one of the joys is that weird mingled sadness and joy at the end of a book. Like, I don't want it to end, but I got to see what happens. It's okay. I know how this ends, but I get the same feeling as we go through books of the Bible because it's like it becomes a friend uh, when you're reading. We've been in it now for almost almost two years uh, through the book of Mark. So really, really excited coming in for a landing. Um, And we are at some really important stuff. So Mark chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 15, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the truth it contains. Lord, this is life. It's living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And this morning I pray that it would do its work. And I can't make that happen by the cleverness of a sermon. It's got to be by your spirit. So Lord, we're asking that you would come. You would help me to speak and you would give us ears to hear. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing I want to do is just quickly review where we were last week. Jesus, Peter, the denials, the rooster crowing, all of the above. That's what we talked about last week. And we talked about how Peter was ultimately restored, but Peter totally denied the Lord. We also talked about 
the fact that Jesus was in the house of the high priest Caiaphas and that it was at night, which is not when you typically do uh, any type of trial. So it wasn't really in accordance with the law. They knew they had to do it at night. They were probably afraid of the crowds of people who loved Jesus for all the miracles. And then something interesting, uh, the Roman courts open up at daybreak. And all of the trials, if you were going to have a trial of any kind, you would have it early in the morning because the Romans got stuff to do. So in the morning they have these trials and the way that the, the, these trials worked, uh, they had to have an instantaneous verdict. There wasn't deliberation and recess and all the stuff that we do. You, you went before uh, the governor and you got a verdict immediately. And you didn't always get in front of him, but if it was a big deal like this was where all the religious leaders bring Jesus and this whole big crowd of people, Pilate is going to listen to them. So you look at verse 1, as soon as it was morning, as soon as the sun is coming up, they go. They, they held a consultation at night, so they, they were deciding, how are we going to do this? We've got him. Jesus is in our clutches. We're going to take him straight to Pilate first thing in the morning. They bound Jesus, led him away, take him to Pilate. And the very next verse says, and Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, obviously, Mark is giving us the Cliff Notes version. That's why it's just real, it's real fast. But the way that this would have worked is they would have had something written down of the charges, plus they were very vocal. A clerk would have probably come up to Pilate and said, here's what's going on with this guy. Now, the term they would have been using was Messiah. In fact, when you read the account in Matthew, they say Pilate uses the word Messiah. But Messiah or King of the Jews, it meant the same thing. And they're trying to get Jesus on charges of insurrection, overthrowing the government. That's what they're trying to do. So let's, let's talk just real quick about who Pilate is. How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ or other depictions? So you, you've, seen, you've seen Pilate uh, before. Here's something you may not know. Pilate is in a weird spot. He's served from AD 26 to AD 36. So this is just a, probably a couple years prior to the end of his governorship uh, in Jerusalem. He hated the Jewish people. This is historically recorded, Josephus and Philo, historians, they, they share a couple things that happened, and the feeling was mutual. Most governors, when they would come into Jerusalem, they, they recognized that the Jewish people above almost every other religion was incredibly serious about worship and the kosher laws and the law of Moses, like really serious. They weren't just casually sacrificing to pagan gods. They took their religion serious. And it was easier, and this was part of the genius of Rome, to allow people to practice their religion so that they didn't cause riots and fights all the time. So, so the Romans were fine to let the Jews do what they did. They just were constantly frustrated with how the Sabbath worked and all of that, they just, it, it messed up the system. Uh, 
So Pilate is brash and bold and arrogant. Here's what history tells us he did. He brought in, when he first started his governorship, he brings in these banners with the eagle crest and Caesar and brings this stuff in. It looks like an idol, sets it up all over the place, and it creates a riot. The, the Jewish people riot, like, we are not going to have these idols brought in here. So Pilate, like any good new boss, has to prove that he's the new boss. How many of you have had this experience? You get a new boss, and then they start implementing policies just to implement policies. Everybody's smiling if you've had that. If you've ever been the new boss, don't be that guy. So Pilate, that's what, that's what he's doing He's like, I'm going to show you. So he rounds them up uh, in the arena, and he says, uh, I'm going to kill every last one of you if you don't stop. And do you know what the Jewish people did? And this began a lovely relationship with Pilate and the Jewish people. They pulled their shirts down and exposed their neck and said, do it. I just thought that was really interesting. That, that was how they got started. And he realized, oh my gosh, these people are serious. So that was, that was his first week at work. Later, he made a really good decision and stole money out of the temple funds so he could build an aqueduct. We got some sewer work that needs done. I'll just steal it from the temple, causing another riot. In this case, Pilate disguises some of his soldiers as Jewish protesters, and in the middle of the protest, they take out clubs and knives and beat and stab the protesters and put put that down. So the tension with Pilate and the Jewish people is real. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, just a few years later, he actually gets sent back to Rome because he does another one of these things, but it's the Samaritans that are trying to get up uh, on Mount Gerizim and he brutalizes them as well. He gets sent back to Rome and then he commits suicide. So that is just a brief overview of Pilate. First time he shows up in the Bible is actually this really odd place in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. It says, There were some present at that time, at that very time, who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. We don't know exactly what happened, but it, Jewish people were offering sacrifices to God, and he came in and killed them and mingled their blood with the blood of the sacrifices. So Pilate was not a good guy. And the reason I'm saying that is, sometimes the figure of Pilate, you almost have sympathy for him. Like, well, he didn't really want to do it. don't know if he deserves any sympathy. Peter mentions him twice in the book of Acts. Once he does in a sermon, let me read that in Acts chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Peter is finishing this up and he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. He's talking to Jewish leaders. Remember last week we said Peter was scared? This is non-scared Peter talking to the same people. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked 
for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And then Peter actually mentions Pilate in a prayer in Acts chapter 4. After they heal a guy that's been crippled for over 30 years, they get thrown in prison, they get released from prison, they don't ever preach in the name of Jesus again, and they go and they pray for boldness, and part of the prayer sounds like this. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Peter, in his prayer, says everybody was against Jesus. Pilate, Herod, Gentiles, Jewish leaders, everybody was against him. But they did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The crucifixion of Jesus, as we will see later, was not in the hands of Pilate. It was not in the hands of the chief priest. It was not in the hands of the people asking for him to be crucified. It was in the hands of God's predetermined plan. I am sinning. When we say the scripture, for God so loved the world, he did what? He gave. What does it mean he gave? over to be crucified. That's what it means. I don't think we always think of it that way. But when he gave his son, we are saying he gave his son to be crucified. And Isaiah 53 tells us in advance, this is what's going to happen. The suffering servant is coming. He will bear the transgressions of many. Pilate, then, is a part of God's plan. But he's making his own choices. If you want that to be understood, I'm not sure how to explain it to you. Because men make free choices, and God has a sovereign plan. Okay, that's all I'm going to say on that. Let's look at verse 2 again here to see a little bit about the very first ticket on the docket. Pilate looks at Jesus and says, Are you the king of the Jews? He's received the accusation. He knows what they're accusing him of. They're accusing him of being an insurrectionist. They're accusing him of being somebody that's against Rome. Because in the other gospel accounts, you find out that Pilate says, this is a matter of Jewish law, you guys deal with it. In fact, in, in one of the gospel accounts, I think it is in Luke, where he hears that he's from Galilee, and he says he's from Galilee, and he sends him over to Herod. Mark's got a very short account. This probably went on for a a while. But he sends him over to Herod, who was nearby in Jerusalem, who was the vassal king, meaning Rome had installed him there. And Herod was excited to see him. This is the same Herod that beheaded John the Baptist, because he wanted to see a sign from him. 
and then ask Jesus a bunch of questions. He doesn't really answer. They mock him. They put a robe on him, and they send him back to Pilate, basically saying, eh, there's nothing here. Pilate is looking for a way out of pronouncing any type of judgment. And the reason he's looking for a way out is because of all these historical things we already talked about. Pilate's got a very tenuous relationship with the people he's supposed to be governing. They don't like him. He doesn't like them. He knows that if he doesn't do this the right way, he's in trouble. So he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers, you have said so. Really what Jesus is saying is, you, you said it. Yes. Yes, I am. But not exactly the way that Pilate may have thought that meant. In Luke chapter 23, there's other charges that are being brought against Jesus. I want to read verse 2 and verse 5. Here's what the chief priest began to accuse him as this trial begins. They begin to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. They were trying to get it to look like that Jesus' great sin against Rome was he was telling people uh, not to pay their taxes, not to give tribute to Caesar. Does anybody remember that it's in this very week that he gets asked by a Pharisee in the temple, like, five days prior to this. Whose inscription is this, Jesus? Well, it's Caesar's. Well, what, what do we do with it? How do, what are we supposed to do? Everybody knows the famous story. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You give to God what is God's. Jesus had already said, yeah, you, you pay your taxes. But here, what's an easy way to explain this, kids? They're lying. They're lying. They are looking for anything they can get to stick to stick because the Jewish law, they're not allowed to kill Jesus under Roman rule. The, the Jewish law, even though it's, they believe it's been broken, um, they know they've got to get Rome to kill Jesus. They're not allowed to do it. So they've got to make the charge against Jesus really something he's done against Rome which he hasn't done. They're lying. So when, when he says, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, I am. John actually, in his account, gives us a little more detail because Jesus gives more information to this question. But he's not defending himself. He's explaining which is important. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? 
Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And it should probably be read that way. What is truth? After this, he said, after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. If we just pause for a second here. Pilate is a great study of the way the world reacts to the truth of Jesus. The idea of Jesus bearing witness to the truth as if there really was objective, verifiable, concrete truth bothered Pilate 2,000 years ago. Do not think it strange that we live in a world that doesn't like the idea of truth. The world does like the idea of your truth. And I, you guys already know how I feel about that. But in case you've never been here before, there is no such thing as your truth. It, there is truth. But you don't get to corner a market on it because what we really mean when we say, speak your truth, what we really mean is, tell us all about your feelings. Tell us about your feelings. Well, if it's true to them, it's, it's true. No, 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 no. No, it's not. There's objective reality. Meaning, truth is something that it either is or is not. I've used a lot of different examples, and we know what we see in the world around us, but very simply, the objective reality is men are men and women are women. That is an objective reality established by our Creator. You can't come and say, I feel like I'm something else, and that makes it so. That doesn't make it so. I pretended to be dinosaurs, pirates, Han Solo on a regular basis throughout the 80s. I pretended to be Snake Eyes, if you remember G.I. Joe. I pretended to be Soundwave because I love Transformers. But objectively, decidedly, truthfully, it's none of those things. It's called pretend. And then there's lots of times throughout my life as an adult I've had my feelings hurt because I'm a baby. My, it's my stupid brother. I'll punch him as soon as service is over. <laughs> so we've all been there, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to be honest. You get your feelings hurt because of whatever 
Well, sometimes it's legit. Sometimes, yeah. And then sometimes it's not. It's because we're a baby. It's because we have some maturing to do. Somebody said something to us that was true. Our feelings don't like it, so we want it to be something else. And we live now in a world that just absolutely doesn't like the idea of objective truth. Reality. Ultimate reality is determined by the Creator. God is our Creator. His Word is truth. This is the plumb line, according, what is that, Amos, Rob? Is that where the plumb line is? Amos tells us this is the plumb line. This is the leveling. This is what is true. And outside of it is not true. So feelings don't matter. But I'm telling you, this isn't new. Because Pilate, growing up in a pluralistic, paganistic society, simply meaning all kinds of opinions, all kinds of gods, all kinds of religions, mashed up in a big melting pot where Rome was in charge, and they allowed people in different communities to think what they wanted. Pilate, who's seen that throughout the Roman Empire, hears Jesus tell him, I'm here to bear witness of the truth, and the people who hear my voice, they're part of this truth. And he says, what is truth? What is truth? There's no such thing as truth. It's whatever we make it. So Pilate is not that much different than 2022. Now go back to Mark. Verse 5 says, Jesus makes no further answer. Pilate was amazed. Isaiah 53 tells us that as the lamb that opens not its mouth, Jesus, the suffering servant, is not opening his mouth. Jesus isn't defending himself. He simply gave an answer to what his kingdom was. He's the king of kings, but his kingdom is not a political kingdom. That's its own separate sermon, but it is one. Not that it doesn't affect politics, not that it doesn't affect us in the way that government should be run, but that the kingdom of God is not advanced with machine guns. The kingdom of God is not advanced that way at all. But Pilate's amazed that Jesus is not defending himself because most people standing before Pilate with an accusation of insurrection and with the threat of death by crucifixion are begging on their knees and pleading their innocence, and Jesus hasn't done that at all. Jesus has simply affirmed, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate can tell he's not guilty. Let's go to verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release, so it's Passover, at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. The irony of this is gigantic. Jesus is being accused of being an insurrectionist against Rome, and they want Barabbas. Look at verse 8. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Because I think Pilate thinks 
it's just these leaders. These leaders are jealous. That's what this is, and I don't understand it. It's Jewish law. I don't get it, and I don't care. I just want this to go away. I want to move on with my day. I don't want to talk to this prophet rumored to do miracles. He's wanting to talk about truth. Forget that. Let's just get, let, it's the feast. Let's all have a happy occasion. Who, you want me to release somebody? And I think Pilate probably thinks this is his ticket out. The people are going to rescue me. It's only the leaders who are envious. If I ask the people, they're going to ask for the king of the Jews. Everybody can go about their merry way and it'll be great. To his surprise, verse 10, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. This is the same crowd that when he entered the city, do you remember what they were doing just a couple days ago? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's called Palm Sunday. These are the same crowd of people. It's the same feast. It's Jerusalem. It's the same people that are now disappointed that Jesus is not an insurrectionist. Do you see, we've been talking about this all the way through, they wanted somebody to overthrow Rome. They thought Jesus was the guy. He's clearly not going to do what they thought. So what they ask for is Barabbas, the guy who was in an insurrection. Everybody knows what an insurrection is, right? That's when somebody doesn't? Okay, Colton, that's a great question. An insurrection is when people try to overthrow the government. And they try to form an army to go fight the government. And so Barabbas was a part of a group that was doing that. It obviously wasn't very successful, but he had murdered somebody. All my life, I just thought Barabbas was this weird murderer. He's actually an insurrection leader. And they want him. At least he was doing what they expected, the crowd. They want Barabbas. Here's the real irony. His name is Bar, son of Abba, the father. His name is son of the father. They wanted a fake son of the father in exchange for the only begotten of the father. Don't think for one second that's not intentional. This this exchange of human sinfulness for what they think is right is a testimony to the way mankind always reacts towards God, which is, I know what's best, I know what's right, I've got a plan, I've got it figured out, let me do it. So they ask for Barabbas. Pilate again said to them, Then what should I do? What shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. There's no authority for the Jews to do what they want done. They are bloodthirsty. They are sick and tired of this guy that has been a thorn in their side for three years. And they've got him, so they think. And a bloodlust in a crowd is a scary thing. And that's what's happening. And they're shouting, crucify him. That's why the beginning of John 1 is so 
powerful when it says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Crucify him. Verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I want to read John's account of this because I want to flesh out a little more detail than Mark gives us here. Because Jesus has an additional conversation with Pilate. And I think this is really important for us in understanding what's going on here. It's John 19, 6-11. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now stop. Is Pilate afraid of God? His statement on what is truth tells me he's not afraid of God. It's what the Jews come out and say accidentally in their anger. They accidentally tell him the real reason. Remember in Luke it said, he's telling us not to pay taxes, and he's, telling, he's trying to have an overthrow of the Roman government. But now they get down to what they really want him dead for. We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the Son of God. Do you see the transition? They went from accusing him of being an insurrectionist and somebody saying not to pay your taxes to, here's the real reason, he claimed to be the Son of God. That made Pilate afraid because he realized Jesus was totally innocent. Totally innocent. See, when the high priest examines a lamb to be sacrificed in the Old Covenant, they have to examine it for any blemishes of any kind. And they examine the lamb and they can't, there can't be any spots. It's got to be perfect. Then it becomes a part of the sacrifice where the sins of the nation of Israel through the high priest, through the laying on of hands is transferred and they say this, the, this lamb represents the sins of the nation and then they sacrifice it has to be examined. Pilate is functioning like a high priest examining the sinless Son of God and recognizes in this moment, and he's recognized it all along, but now he's afraid because he knows this he's totally innocent. And he's afraid of the crowd because he's already had riots and murder throughout his governorship. He doesn't need any more, and this crowd is incredibly bloodthirsty, incredibly loud. He's got to find a way out. Verse 9 of John, chapter 19. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? I hope you can feel the moment. Pilate is tense. There are people outside, outside his living quarters demanding for Jesus to be crucified. And he's coming back to Jesus saying, where are you from? What's going on? 
clearly this is, a, this is not something I want to deal with today at all. And Jesus doesn't answer. Which Pilate can't imagine because you should be trying to get out of dying. In his mind, surely, Jesus, you're going to try to let's come up with a solution. You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? I'm in charge here. I'll be making the decisions. Don't you know that? And Jesus' answer is awesome. Verse 11, Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus tells Pilate, You have no authority over me. The only authority you have has been granted from my, my heavenly Father because we sent a prophet 800 years ago called Isaiah and he told the people that I'm going to do what I'm doing now. I'm fulfilling scripture. I'm doing what the plan of God is. Peter prayed it in Acts chapter 3 that Pilate was doing what God had a plan to do in eternity past. That's all Pilate's doing. Church, the world does not have authority over you. The devil does not have authority over you. If God allows something, he allows it. But if God's the one allowing it, then he has a good purpose for it and redeems all of it and works all things together for good. This is where we rest in the sovereign plan of God, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense. We aren't Jesus. We don't have perfect clarity like he does. But there is no authority over our lives other than God. So back to Mark, verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. I think you hear the final sermon point. The most dangerous place in the world is to be a person that is a slave to the opinion of the crowd. It always leads away from Jesus. Always. Unless the crowd is a church that loves Jesus. If, if it's not that crowd, and that crowd can be a little shaky because it's people. It's, it's you and it's me. <laughs> I heard... I heard a, a, a marriage counselor or a pastor talking about marriage advice and he, he's talking to this husband and wife and he's picking up a common theme and he stops him and he, he asks the husband who was a jerk. He said, uh, by any chance, is the server in every restaurant you go to inefficient and problematic? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, it's just always, I always have bad service. Okay, we've identified the problem. It's you. You are the common denominator in all of your problems. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. But if people are involved, there's going to probably be problems. But Pilate follows the crowd. Pilate is afraid of the crowd. 
Pilate's going to do what the crowd wants because he can't afford any more bloodshed. He doesn't want any problems. And even though he knows that Jesus is innocent and proclaims him innocent, he still hands him over to be crucified. The sacrifice that Jesus made himself to be is perfect in every way. And the story of Pilate tells us even more how he was examined by the authorities and proclaimed innocent and they crucified him anyway. But it was a part of the plan of God to save the world. Now next week what we're going to do is we're going to come back to this place of they scourged Jesus and then into the crucifixion. So we're going to deal with that in detail next week. For this week, what you can really think about is God had a plan. God executed the plan. And it was because he loved the world. Let's stand up. We are going to be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, I pray this morning that we would not be people that disdain truth, follow our own hearts to destructive ends, following the crowd. But Lord, we would turn to you. You came to bear witness of the truth. Lord, your word is truth. Lord, I pray this morning that anyone listening or anyone here that doesn't know the truth, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, the risen Savior that died for our sin. Lord, I pray they would see it and know it. They would be changed by that reality. Lord, only you can open our eyes to see, and we ask God you would open eyes to see the truth. We thank you for it, and we praise you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Church tonight, 6 p.m., we have prayer. You are officially dismissed.